0: crafting the circuits for Steve's video store. What is it? I sure know what it is. It's ubazoo.com.
1: Okay, children, let's start the day with a few new math problems. What is five times two? Come on, children, don't be shy. Just give it your best shot. Yes, Clyde? Twelve? Okay, now let's try to get an answer from someone who's not a complete retard. Anyone? Come on, don't be shy.
2: I think I know the answer, Mr. Garrison. Me,
0: me, me, Boy? Hey, don't call me fat, you Jew. Eric, did you just say the F word? Jew? No, he's talking about You can't say In school, you f***ing fat ass. Kyle. Why the f***? No. Eric. Dude, you just said f***
2: again. Stanley. Who? Kenny. What's the big deal? It doesn't hurt anybody.
1: How would you like to go see the school counselor?
2: How would you like to suck my <laughs> What did you say? Uh, I- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Actually, what I said was, <clears throat> "How would you like to suck my...?" B- mm. Mr. Dirty?
3: Holy <laughs> dude!
2: Can you dig it?
3: Can you dig it? Can you dig it?
2: This is blasphemy. This is madness. S-S-A-P-O-S. Staring down, looking at the blood-stained concrete. You're the dead MC flying at my feet. It took a nine millimeter rhyme straight to your mind. Damn, my better split. This is my time. So I make my way up the block. Get to home base and lock that. Uh, Crack the cuirassier and grab the phone. Call one of my troops up. Hope the soldiers be Says, yo hey, what's up, what's going on? Make it quick, cause I'm trying to get my stellar on. Go. Uh, you girl, I'm in a- These lyrical assassins tried to pull a hit and then boom came a noise from the other room. It was the boys in blue with the swap crew. They got us locked up for lyrical murder. It's one of them charges that you never heard of. It's the booth. The booth. The booth. The booth. The booth. Yeah, it's the booth. The booth. The Booth, The Booth, yeah, we're killing all your podcasts like the HIV virus, you wanna battle this kid, Club, huh, don't even try this, back the uh. up, think again, count to ten, you wanna grab that mic just to get done in? it's the booth, the booth, The Booth, The Booth, The Booth, yeah, it's The Booth, The Booth, The Booth, The Booth, the booth. yeah, it's The Booth. Was he African? African. African. No.
0: He was American and he was like you. He yeah. looked just like you. He was Jewish. Just Jewish. like you.
3: Okay. Jew. Hey. It's an odd crime for a Jew. Yeah, to come, no, pretty docile. Okay, so we have an African Jew wearing a hoodie.
0: No, you don't. No. no. That's not what I said. Is that what you heard me say? I said he looked like you. Do you look like an African Jew?
3: No, I look like a cock. Yeah.
4: <sighs> he was Caucasian. It was so insanely fast. Stephanie Taubin on the stand in Suffolk Superior Court. That ball had definite spin on it. Taubin describing the moments just before she was hit by a foul ball at Fenway Park in 2014. I saw him hit the ball. I heard the ball come off the bat. It came up towards the right and then came over and... It made me on the left side of my face.
0: David Ortiz hit the ball in question. Talbin was sitting in the area
4: above home plate. The feeling of shock and emotion of oh my god, what just happened? What's happening? Talbin is suing team owner John Henry and the Red Sox for negligence. She's asking for 9.5 million dollars, saying the foul ball caused facial fractures and neurological damage. That ball hit me right here on my face. I heard the bones crack. Um, It just kind of knocked me. Again, I, I just, I heard my bones, the bones in my face crack, and I just felt an enormous amount of pain. A glass that had shielded the section where she was sitting had been removed back in 2005. The judges ordered that testimony resume on Wednesday, not tomorrow.
3: All right, it's your boy Sinister One broadcasting live from the City of Champions. You are listening to the booth. It is June fourteenth, four thirty five PM. And you know what? I like when we postpone the show and we go on Thursday nights, because Thursday nights you guys get a little a little spoiled because you get you get the booth for an hour, then you get Oscar Mike Radio, which is quickly coming up on its hundredth episode, and then you get drafting the circuit so you get like a a triple play on the um as you heard before we came in was the story from last week Stephanie Taubin who is suing the Red Sox for 9.3 million dollars for negligence the verdict came down and she is going to get absolutely nothing the Red Sox were found not negligent in the matter and I think this is a win-win for for those with 10 games and stuff and you know again a lot of people were saying, guys, in this situation, she. It was a rare occasion that this happened because her seats are actually above, way up above home plate. They're the, they're the posh seats. You pay a ton of money. Not regular people don't get these seats.
1: <laughs>
3: the people who get these seats are special people, and they. It came out in the, you know, in the, in the trial, and the, you know, the Red Sox said that these seats are special seats, and you know, only certain types of people are sitting in this area, and very rarely that this happens. They do have nets. Uh, that they are supposed to protect the people, but, you know, it happens, and he says, and they're always looking at ways to protect the fan base um, that sits in that area, so, again, you know, it's another case where the booth discusses something during the show last week, and uh, the verdict comes down, and pretty much what we we, we said came down, and that the Red Sox were found not negligent, there was that small window there about, about the glass being removed, and Ken, you said what were you, what was your
1: thoughts on that? well, that's my thoughts were that well, were two things number one, we were talking about the uh waiver of rights under the ticket, and I said no, that's not going to be good enough and then we discussed that um yeah assumption of the risk going to a ball game there's you know things are so far out of left field you can't. Defend against everything. Negligence, remember, does not mean anything that could possibly happen. There's something called the reasonably prudent person standard. and What basically it says is there's this invisible mythical person called the reasonably prudent person that says what would a reasonably prudent person do in that situation to protect the fans? If the RPP would have put a glass or nets, then they're liable. But if not, then they're not liable. There was one small possibility – because they had glass there, and then took it down, they could make the argument that they did, in fact, know about it and did something to protect their fans, and then took it down. But I said that was a very, you know, narrow window of opportunity, and they just did not did not get through it. I don't think they should. I feel sorry for this woman. I don't wish pain on anyone. I can't imagine what it felt like to get smacked in the face with a foul ball uh, from a professional baseball player. But I'm sorry. There was this
3: <laughs> hold on, and, and not just any baseball player. It's David Poppy Ortiz.
1: Yeah, so. Big Poppy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm so I feel sorry for the woman. You have my sympathies, but this is one of those things like getting hit by lightning, or you know, a freak accident. Guys, a heart attack on a, on an elevator. Mm-hmm. Uh, what 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 do they call? It? Uh, what's his face? The one in Three's Company who passed away, John Ritter. John Ritter had the Widowmaker thing that no one could no one could detect unless they're actually looking for it with a neutron microscope. Mm-hmm. These things happen and they're regrettable, but that does not mean the Red Sox are responsible. Right. And you know me, I'm not a big fan of corporate America. You don't get much bigger than corporate America and the Red Sox or any other professional sports team. But now this time we're gonna let them skate.
5: So the answer is when you go to a professional sporting event, you're supposed to be there to watch the game. That's why, that's why you spend all that money. So if you're there, this is just a general statement to people. If you're there on your phones, if you're there doing other things, you've wasted your money and you put yourself at risk. Watch the damn game or don't buy a ticket.
3: Mm, yeah, you know, and they show showing a lot of these baseball games on TV. And, you know, again, you've got these people in those seats um, and they're, you know, they're taking selfies and they're, if there's being seen... On, and one of the things I hate is when you were watching a baseball game, right? And you see the people that are in those behind-home plate seats, and you got that one person that's on TV, and they're on their phone, and they've got that infinity thing going on where they're not even paying attention to the game. They're waving because they know they're on TV, and they're looking at their phone to see themselves, and it's like, dude, can you sit down? You're about to witness a no-hitter, and it's just... You know what I'm saying? It's just crazy, you know? So. Oh, yeah.
1: One of the problems... Uh...
4: Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.
1: Which refers to those fans as pink hats. Those people <clears throat> wear the pink Boston Red Sox hats after they won the 2014 World Series. It was 2014. It might have been 2004, whatever. That aren't really fans. They're just there for the event. And I agree with you. I agree with both R-squared and Sinister One. Hey, folks, you know... Uh, if you don't want to watch the game, give it your ticket to a hardcore fan like myself r square our
3: sister one We would love one of those seats mm-hmm. you know we can I, I
1: don't know about, i don't know about these two gentlemen, but uh I can't afford them
3: yeah i would i would take it i would, i i've always said I've, I've wanted to get those seats <clears throat> i've been i've sat pretty much everywhere <clears throat> at at, at Fenway park. Other than the, I call them the Tom Hanks seats because he was the first celebrity to be up there when they were <laughs> built. But the the Green Monster seats, so I've been dying right. to sit up there for a game. Um, and before I die, I want to sit up there for a game and and and, and take it all in from from the Green Monster. Um, and we can go from there. But again, like I said, you know these these those are the cushy seats, and you get what you pay for sometimes. And you know, I, like I said, I think we're all we all feel her pain that she got hit with a baseball but let's be honest here um her injuries um were not like some that was suffered by the woman who was impaled by the baseball bat and she almost lost her life that was down right. on the, the first i think it was on the first, like along the first baseline um you know she's it's it's a it's a tough situation so i got we got people in the chat already dennis donnie was in the chat van bates is in the chat what's going on van bates Uh, he's hanging out with us at Van Bates. He's actually going to be going on tour. He's got a record release. He's going to be coming on the show and interview with us. Also speaking of rappers going out on the road and shooting videos and got new music, Jay Kinzer. Of The Expendables, which you all know as JK, he's been on our show before, he's a big Boston sports fan, he's going to be coming on the show next week uh, to promote his new album called Opinionated Facts. Um, If you guys have never heard the music of The Expendables before, I would say, and this isn't a reach, the EXP Expendables crew is the white version of Wu-Tang Clan lyrically, and I'm, I'm I'm not saying that to, to pump them up because they're Boston guys and they're local guys, I'm just letting you know that when I first saw these guys the way they put on their show, the way they deliver their lyrics, the way each guy has his own personality and delivery, just reminds me of Wu-Tang Clan, and it's very tough to pull that off so um Jay Kinzer will be on here next week on The Booth, and again thank you Van Bates for being up in the chat anybody if you want to hit a Van Bates and get some of his music and check out his new video. He is in our chat tonight. Uh, hit him up. Uh, we got uh, Oh, wow. We got Ryan Carpenter in the chat, son of our Brockton mayor, who has an event tonight, I believe. Right, Ken? Don't they have an event for him tonight? Uh,
1: I don't know. It could mayor be. Carpenter.
3: Yeah, they have an uh, event uh, tonight uh, downtown, just... and they're raising money, getting ready for his election run, I believe it's going to be, his re-election. And... Um, I'm pretty sure they, they're wanting people to come down to that. That's, a, that's usually a fundraiser, so we're going to give a big shout-out to Ryan Copper, to Travis Partington, as I said. He's in the chat. We've got um his 100th episode coming up. He's got episode 97 on tonight, and we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff we were going to... Guys, I know we were going to talk about Solo tonight, but so much had happened. We had the this whole G7 summit between Jung Kong um Kim and um, Trump in North Korea. I'm going to let our squid jump right into this because if it was lip sync battle, lip service, this is what some people are feeling like this whole thing was, was just an act. Um, And you know what? I'm not going to steal his thunder. He wrote a very scathing piece over at Hoobazoo.com that you guys got to go and check out. So I'm just going to let our squid just jump right into this, man.
5: Sure. Well, first two caveats. Number one, while I've disagreed with a lot of President Trump and the Trump administration's policies, I haven't been as disappointed in, in their approach to Korea, minus the juvenile nonsense with the name-calling. That was always undignified. But the uh, the overall approach I thought was pretty good. So uh, the fact that uh, I find that the, this so-called summit, whatever you want to call it, uh, was absolutely ridiculous – Uh, And counterproductive and against the interests of the United States uh, is is a difference of opinion from where I had been before. So I was willing to hope that something good would come out of it. So that's the caveat to this thing. But here's the problem with it. First of all, you know, obviously – People who study diplomacy and the State Department and all that uh, certainly would know that when you have meetings like this, especially with an adversary – remember, this isn't even an ally with whom we've been dealing. This is an adversary we've never met face-to-face at this level. This is a process that the State Department goes through that could take years, but it certainly takes months and months. And here, there was no process. Yes, Mike Pompeo went over there and had a quick meeting with him, but that's not what we're talking about. The president met with Chairman Kim without any groundwork being done. You know, he talks about publicly how he doesn't have to prepare. Well, that's a safety mechanism because he doesn't know anything. He doesn't want to be caught. So he says he says he intentionally doesn't prepare when he certainly has the opportunity and the ability to be prepared by his State Department and his national security team. So... He goes to meet with Chairman Kim over in Singapore the other day, and two things happen. Number one, because he botched the G7 meeting in Quebec so badly, he was desperate for a deal. So here's the guy that has been saying for – well, really for years. I mean this has been his whole public persona that he's this fantastic world-class dealmaker when the reality is anybody who's worked with him says he caves uh, the first minutes of a meeting. So he goes to uh, Singapore to meet with Chairman Kim, desperate for a deal, and he caves. That's the first thing. That's that. That's the problem. And the second thing is that the United States made some major concessions, and the Kore- the North Koreans made none. And so here's where we here's where we go. We have this meeting. They come up with a basically one page piece of paper that has four vague principles written on it about agreeing to work together, working towards peace, uh, some vague statement about denuclearization, uh, and so that's fine. That's the kind of thing that should have happened a long time ago at a much earlier level. The problem is then the president unilaterally gives away some major concessions. First, he unilaterally – this, and I say unilaterally – our own Defense Department, the folks in the Pentagon had no clue this was happening. The South Korean allies had no clue this was happening. The Japanese and the Australians, our regional allies, had no clue this was happening. The president goes ahead and unilaterally cancels our military exercises with South Korea. And I'll get into that in a moment. The other thing he does is, of course, he evidences. He says publicly that he want, he has wanted to bring home you know, take all of our military out of Korea. We've had 30,000 army folks there plus air force folks there. Uh, there's been a large presence for almost 70 years going back to the war, and he wants to bring them all home. So he's given Kim these two major concessions without Kim giving anything uh, as a concession. The other thing is what Kim got out of this meeting, uh, remember that he, his father and his grandfather, going back 70 years of rule – uh, have wanted a couple of things. First and foremost, they have wanted to be legitimate on the international stage, and President Trump gave them that legitimacy by standing there with them with all of the pomp and circumstance, multiple embraces and handshakes, the North Korean flag, you know, with all the pomp and circumstance that we put our all, all of our NATO allies <clears throat> all over the stage as full equals, as full legitimate nations of the world community. <coughs> And, uh, and that was a mistake because that was what they wanted more than anything else, uh, and to, to be basically considered – you know, it, it, instead of international pariahs and closed off and isolated, they've now all of a sudden with not even an agreement uh, been given the international legitimacy that they have wanted. And then on top of that <clears> – <throat> and this is if you see any of the news coverage. The president has been on multiple forums – uh, there in Singapore, he was on Fox News and some other media outlets, and then he's been on, interviewed since coming back. He has continued to be interviewed in front of the North Korean flags, so they have continued that ridiculous protocol backdrop where he's been interviewed, and he has repeatedly heaped praise and praise on Kim about what a great guy he is, how tough he is, how it was amazing that he could take over the country the way he did. He's a good negotiator yeah, because he ate President Trump's lunch. That's why he's a good negotiator. And uh, and all of these things, while completely ignoring the seventy years, and it's not all Kim; it's his father and grandfather as well. But Kim's been in office long enough to be personally responsible for crimes against humanity. And this is not an overstatement. Crimes against humanity. There's a UN commission that has done reports about North Korea that includes Chairman Kim as well as his father and grandfather. These are.
4: What if you could have a career?
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
5: People that have murdered millions of their own citizens. The only other people to do things like that, Stalin, Mao of China, <coughs> Hitler, uh, you don't have any legitimate world leaders who have the, the track record of crimes against humanity and genocide that they have at any given day. So right about now at the time of the summit, there were over 120,000 political prisoners in Korea, political prisoners, just people who don't have blind loyalty to the regime living in gulags where they starve to death and do forced labor, uh, not to mention the other forms of, of torture and things they have there. Uh, Kim, like his predecessors, has murdered their own family members just to protect themselves against dissent. So we've put this guy – we've put this absolute disgusting excuse for a human being, if you call him that, on the world stage, hugging and embracing our president, treating him like an equal, and giving him the major concessions he wanted, which was the legitimacy of the world stage, the ending of exercises, and uh, and we got nothing in return. I wanted to circle back on one other thing, and that was – uh, when I said the, the piece about the exercises, the North Koreans have always said that they were provocative. Well, let me explain. I had the bit, I personally participated in multiple times when I've been in Korea. When I was stationed there for a year and when I went back many years later in a different capacity to participate. So I've seen them at different times in different capacities. There are a few things that are very important. Number one, these exercises are 100 percent defensive in nature. We don't practice invading North Korea. We practice collective self-defense with South Korea and our allies. What happens in the face of North Korean aggression? And that's all I can say because everything else is classified. But I can tell you that they're entirely defensive. There's nothing provocative about them. In fact, the North Koreans are told in advance what's going to happen so that they don't have any accidents or misunderstandings. What is provocative – is the North Koreans continually shooting missiles, uh, missiles over South Korea and Japan, threatening to shoot missiles at Guam, threatening their ability to hit the United States, and all of the hostility they've committed along the border, the thirty eighth parallel, where uh, the North does these occasional incursions and you know creates havoc over there on the border with these fake invasions, and they've done artillery shelling of a South Korean island, you know things like that. That's the provocation. That's the inappropriate behavior. The South has used excellent restraint over the years to make sure none of these things have blown out of proportion and escalated into a major conflict. South Korea really benefits from these exercises. They wanted these exercises, and it's not just one thing. There are three different exercises that occur at different times of the year, and each one does something a little bit different. They're all very important to collective self-defense with South Korea and our other allies, and the president, number one, calling them provocative, using Chairman Kim's words uh, was ridiculous and an insult to our own military as well as our allies' militaries. And giving that away, such a major concession in in a flimsy, non-binding agreement—it's not even an agreement; it's a piece of paper that you could blow your nose on, and it would have the same value. So, you know, it's, it was really a, a terrible loss. We should have done this the right way. There was no rush. Uh, There was no reason that this couldn't be part of something he did a year or so from now with the diplomatic efforts underway involving South Korea at a minimum, if not Japan, and we could have done that. One other point, uh, because I know I'm taking up all the time here, one other point I want to make is the only person, the only entity who wins from all of this is China. My guess is China probably put President Trump up to some of these things because they benefited so incredibly well from all of this because what this evidence is is the U.S. almost unilaterally withdrawing from the region. It certainly weakens our regional alliances by ignoring our allies and taking these steps without their involvement and without their input and without any consideration of what their priorities are with evidencing that we're going to pull out of South Korea even without an agreement. Uh, and it's certainly the cancellation of the exercises. Uh, Any times that the United States weakens its position in the region, China is ready to pounce. China is not our friend. They are not just an economic rival where they are really beating the United States badly in the region. They are a geopolitical rival, and we need to treat them as such. And, uh, and this type of thing where China comes out of this thing with everything they wanted, and all they had to do was loan Chairman Kim a plane, It doesn't seem right. So I'll stop there because I don't want to monopolize the conversation, but I wanted to summarize some of the major points of this thing. We need an agreement. Okay, Diplomacy is better than war. We do not want war in the Korean Peninsula if it could all be avoided. However, peace has to be smart. It has to be deliberate, and there has to be a real agreement between both sides, all sides.
1: Well, I think if – first of all, for those of you who don't know – we uh, Colonel Resnick posts pretty regularly on the zoo website. And I really think you should need to read that article. He just did a short synopsis of this right here. But there's a couple other things that I, I wish to draw attention to that I don't think uh, we were talked about. Uh, the first is why do we have two Koreas? Well, if you go back to history, at the end of World War II, the Koreas were divided along the thirty eighth parallels, a temporary measure. Then in nineteen fifty or forty nine. Fifty. The North Koreans invaded the South for unification. And I'm not a big you know, I'm pretty liberal, I'm get along with everybody, but it was clear. Unquestioned aggression on the North. Now, since uh then the North has been unmitigated in its aggression not only to the South, but to everybody else. Not only that, and I agree with what Colonel Resnick said about diplomacy is always better than the war. I agree. But let's, let's remember how we got to the situation. It was Donald Trump ratcheting up the pressure, referring to the chairman as rocket boy, referring to as fat. I mean, and then him going in. I'm glad he's de-escalating tensions. That's always a good thing, especially when we're dealing with a very unstable regime in person. But, you know, Trump needs to take, accept a lot of the blame for ratcheting up the tension. There's another thing also that I think people have been ignoring is the fact there has been a tremendous amount for the past 10 years, although it's gone beneath the radar, of back – I guess back channel. I don't know if that's the right term. r squared can correct me. Between yep. North and South Korea, using cutouts and third nations to improve relations. We saw that recently in the Olympics when they actually had a joint representation together. So there has been a lot of movement without us or at least – officially God knows what we're doing you know, <clears throat> oh, oh, and, behind the scene
3: and let me jump in here real quick okay. cause that, that, that was discussed, remember we had brought that up and that was my opinion when we talked about North Korea's change of heart and trying to get on that world stage, I had said that that, that whole thing between North Korea and South Korea being in the Olympics they realized, oh wow we never received this type of attention before and right. they realized that that, that was the ka that was the cash flow right. Into North Korea, they saw all the press that they got. They saw all the advertising and free media that they received. And you know, there's a meme out there right now that has Ken Jong Un. He's he's hugging one of his chiefs and and generals, and it says "Wicket the McDonald's." And yeah, you know, yeah. that's sad because that's actually what could be with our squid was talking about
2: right Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: But, but here's the thing and i think this is why it's so important to understand why this summit was such a freaking disaster and i'm sorry it was not a summit at best nope. at nope. best it was a photo opportunity and mm-hmm. we gave away and donald trump gave away the store for nothing nothing
3: and here's the thing about the hypocrisy of it how many how many times have we seen this from the Trump administration where his whole campaign was run on a certain tossing of, of – of, he, he tossed a lot of trash at other politicians. And since he's been in office, I want to say 90 percent of the things that he's been criticized for and why I'm very mad at this guy as president is because – he ran a whole campaign on calling people out, yet he's sitting here in his second year, and he's doing everything that he's called people out for. He claimed that Obama gave away the farm when he gave right. money to, to, to the Middle East, when realistically, no, Obama didn't give money away to the Middle East. They gave money to the Middle East to get whatever right. information they needed to get about terrorism. You know, the, Nobody ever comes in and gives up nothing, You know, right. gives up something for nothing. There's always something in return right now. We're probably going to learn what we got and what we gave up, and right now it looks like we gave up a lot. Go ahead, Ken.
1: Yeah, not only did we give up a lot, and I think R-squared did this much better than I could ever possibly do, Mm -hmm. was the image of what they wanted of of no longer being pariah, and I don't think people understand how important that is to Kim Jong-un. The fact that he was on the stage with Donald Trump gives him incredible prestige. There's a reason why no North Korean leader has ever met with the president of the United States. Okay, It's not a freaking accident, and I'm talking between Truman to Obama. Okay, They wanted that. We didn't want to give it to them because we wanted something in return. Now, I understand that we're, when two nations get together, they traditionally put the flags next to each other, and whether we get along with them or not is irrelevant. It's a, it's a, you know, it's diplomacy. To quote the great uh, uh, Yitzhak Rabin, who once said, "You don't make, you know, make peace with your friends." I get that, okay. But, and here's the important but: you better, any you go into negotiation, you better make darn sure you know what you're getting, okay. Mm-hmm. It may be necessary for you to eat some crow. That's negotiations, okay. Give you an example. I had a history professor at University of Vermont. Ones tell me that there's a difference between a, a compromise and a historic compromise. You know what it is? A compromise is where all sides to agreement think they've been screwed but do it anyway because it's the right thing. Historic compromise is when all sides to agreement know they've been screwed and do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Okay? This was not a historic compromise because North Koreans weren't screwed. and. Also, I'm gonna, uh, it looks like Rob's chomping at the bit, and I apologize. I'm having <laughs> all this time up here. No, no, minute. no. I,
5: that's why I stopped.
1: <laughs> but um, I really think that Rob's comment about China, or China, as our president said, was more than astute. These people are playing a very long game in Asia. Their economy is blowing up. They are the market of the future, and they are positioning themselves to be the big guy on the block. And they're playing this North Korean card, and they're playing Trump like you wouldn't believe. And we can get into Ivanka and her trademarks and Trump, you know, his hotel deals another the day. But guys, I mean, it, yes, better than nuclear war. I'm all down for that. I'm all down for anyone talking with anybody at any time, but not much. Well, and, and you know, to circle back on a couple of those
5: points, you know, when I – I, I I agreed with the administration's criticism of South Korea and President Moon for allowing the North Koreans to participate in the Olympics. I actually thought that was a mistake. I thought it gave them a similar position on the international stage as we just gave them in Singapore, and I disagreed with it for that. I didn't think Vice President Pence handled it well by you know basically turning his back on uh, on Kim's sister there. I mean, if you're gonna you know don't sit there if you're gonna do that. But anyway. I didn't agree with the North Koreans being included like that, so that's you know that just sort of a little bit of consistency. And then the other thing is, you know, going back you mentioned uh, criticism of President Obama. I was not a big fan of the Iran deal. However, once the Iran deal was signed, and remember it was not bilateral, it was multilateral, so there are other people involved and we couldn't get the perfect thing we wanted. Different different issue for a different day. One thing I want to point out is in that document there were a lot of things. The verification procedures alone was a document of about 125 pages, all right? That was just one small piece of the deal, the verification piece to make sure that that we could monitor what Iran was doing after the agreement was 125 pages. This whole thing, and I understand it's not a final agreement. It was just an initial meeting, but the point is there was no verification and uh, at all, not even mentioned in the in the, in the basic principles of anything, uh, and not even in a follow up. So, you know, I, I think that when you're going to co- try to compare their the relative diplomacy and efforts by the different administrations—I think that's a huge difference—and and shame on President Trump for his ongoing criticism when he goes to these meetings and immediately gives away the farm. And I'll tell you—you know—look, we will agree or disagree. Different presidents and different congressional majorities are going to change priorities, and that's just the way that we exist in our democracy. And you know, that's why it's important to do treaties when we can. But the point is that now, after you know, a year and a half in office. The president has his own track record that we can look at, and his ability – or I should say his complete inability to interact on the world stage, whether it's with our allies or adversaries, we now have a situation of great concern. I mean forget the partisanship, all right? Put all that aside because in foreign policy, we tend to be more united and less partisan. This administration is downright dangerous, their incompetence and unwillingness to do the right thing, their love of dictatorships, this is not just something for a Sunday morning talk show. Where our country is now, you know, being put in great danger by 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 the actions, by what we I guess people are starting to call the Trump doctrine, which to me is is, you know, caving in on the international stage is the well, way I would describe it.
3: Let me, let Go let ahead. Me jo- Let me jump in here real quick because you make a great point, and 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 you're making a point that leads to something else. And I got to thank Brenda Aldrich for jumping in and listening to the show. We've had these summits. We've had these meetings. And here's the one thing that that I don't think really jumps out to people, but it jumps out to me. When we had the Paris Accord, um, the the week that that happened, we had people right after it happened, we had some top-tier people from the White House. They didn't agree. They stepped down. We have this G7 meeting in North Korea, and what did we wake up to? On We woke up to Shah and Sarah Huckabee it's saying they're gone. Now she's clapping back and saying no i'm not leaving i don't know where that came from but guess what i i firmly believe that sarah huckabee's gone and i have a i have a feeling that it all plays into what happened this weekend i think that i think these people are tired and they, i think they know that this is a this is a farce they know that, it, that that the white house is being made a mockery of and she you know she claims that she loves her job and you know, this was her dream job, and you know, this is where she's always wanted to work. Really, this is really where you wanted to work. You really wanted to work in a situation where you have to do damage control for something that the American public downright knows is lip service and they're being lied to. And it's the most hypocritical administration that we've ever had in the history of administrations. Go ahead, Arsquid. Oh, no.
5: No, I agree with what you just said. And the other point I was going to make is – You know, we're at a point where, you know, we we can't sacrifice our alliances, our NATO alliances and other regional alliances. These are people that we need to rely on. We've talked about this on the show before. We can't go it alone. We need partners, we need friends, we need allies, that type of thing. And, you know, now that we've seen not just one or two mistakes, but a year and a half of continuing mistakes, uh, there's a real danger to our country going forward, and it's time that people spoke up. The Republicans, especially, need to speak up. We can't just allow this. And the other thing is, you know, when, when people said, hey, how could you praise Chairman Kim that way? All right, the president had some ridiculous responses for that, but then he goes into his praise for Chairman G uh, of China, you know, the same way. Here's a, here's a guy that, you, you know, he, he might look like a nice guy on television, but look at how he operates. He just consolidated power, he's an absolute autocrat. Uh, You know, people internally are suffering. China is one of the worst human rights abusers there is. And these are the people that the president admires and the people he cozies up to and the people he's selling us out to. Our country is being sold out to countries like China. Uh, who are taking over our interests in the region and we're just pulling back with nothing. We have nothing to show for these things. This is not something where a new administration, Republican or Democrat, is going to be just easy able to change course and recover from. This is going to be lasting damage to our country and people need to get that. They absolutely right. need to get that.
3: And, the, and the, again, the chat is popping. I just thank everybody that's in in and out of the chat, listen to the show. Brenda Aldridge, what's going on? Tyler Zanowski, Z Man's son, he's in the chat listening. Travis Projecting again, coming up on that hundredth episode. Uh, he's got a question that Ken says he'll answer, and I'm loving how we can work this in. Um, Travis Projecting is asking his show is on tonight at eight o'clock, seven thirty is his replay from last week. He says Trump is damned no matter what he does. Now I disagree. It's, he's not damned no matter what he does. I think it's because people. We a lot of us were looking forward to see what was going to come out of this North Korean summit. We are well, all on, Michael,
1: let me answer that question.
3: Yeah. Right. I'm going to give I give you all the questions. So he says Trump is damned no matter what he does. People wanted him to bomb North Korea to oblivion, true. People wanted Trump to use diplomacy, diplomacy, true. Right now I'm looking at a glass half full because American servicemen and women do not have to spill blood in either Korea or Oh, and I get that. He's he's talking from a serviceman. So I'll let both of you answer, but Ken, go first.
1: Okay, well, first first of all, let's start with the fact that Dan if you Dan, if you don't. No, he's damned because of what he does is so constantly idiotic. Mm-hmm. Neither one of us, neither R-squared, nor I, nor you, bemoan the fact that Trump was using diplomacy. Matter of fact, we applauded him for it, and I will applaud it for him again. I agree. Meeting with the North Korean dictator, even if he had to do it with no conditions, was the right move. Even if he didn't get anything, meeting with You had to do it. That being said, what our problem is, is what he did when he got there. He could have met with him behind closed doors. He didn't have to sign an agreement. He could have come out and said, we had a very frank discussion, and I look forward to further meetings. And hand it over to the Secretary of State and those people to say, okay, now let's get a deal done. Let's get verification. Let's get a timetable. One of the issues we did not talk about was the fact that there is no –
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: And I may be dead. You know, our descendants may be dead. But again, the reason he's damned for everything he does is because he goes for the quick fix, for the quick glory, to to benefit Trump, not the country. Okay, and that's the reason. Look, I don't want to see one more service person, male, female, other ever be put in harm's way again for any decision I support we have too many veterans we have too many injured veterans who are dealing with physical and the psychological scares of war because of stupid decisions to quote the great, late great Senator McGovern I am tired of of wars being thought up by old men so young men can die in them and I agree with that and if Trump wants to if Trump's decision wants to go there to open up talks with North Korea, with professionals, I would have been, hey, I don't like you, Trump. We're never going to be friends, but you got this one right. He didn't. And that's the reason we're having a problem with it. Uh,
3: I you want to add to that?
5: Answer yeah, perhaps? I do. I'm, I'm, I'm having a problem. I, got, I was in the chat, and somehow I lost my connection, so I was trying to reconnect so I could see what's being posted. I. I... huh I don't know what's going on here, so I'll try to play with that while we're talking. No but I, I think I think Diesel just said it exactly right. I, I couldn't agree more, and I, I, will, I won't repeat it because it was said very well. President Trump was not damned either way because technically on foreign policy, the country can come together, and I think you'll find a, a vast majority of Americans would like to see something, some resolution on the Korea situation. It's been almost 70 years, and we're losing billions and billions of dollars and putting ourselves at risk. The problem that we had... And I think Ken said this, but the problem is is how we did it, not that we did it. The president could easily have come out of Singapore a hero for handling this the right way, and I would have been the first one to write a piece on that because going into the meeting, I was hoping that I could continue to support his policy on Korea. The problem that we had was – the, you know There was way too much pomp and circumstance given to North Korea. They didn't have to have that. We didn't have to agree to that. Wow. More importantly, what Ken said is exactly right. They could have had a private meeting and said, you know what? We're off to a great start. We're going to continue. Instead, the president gave away the farm, and it doesn't matter what people's views are on Korea, on foreign policy, even on President Trump and the Republicans versus the Democrats. The president, by any objective standard, gave it away and got nothing for it, and that's the problem. And that's an objective, you know, factual position because if you look at it, he gave away many significant, or I should say, multiple significant things. He got nothing, not even a, a putative agreement from the North Koreans. And of course, the point is that China is going to clean up off of this as they have been doing with TPP and, and other things. So. You know, it's, it's a shame, but I think the president could have come out of this a hero. I really think that the country was waiting to see that and almost hoping to see that, uh, and, and he had every ability to do it, but he chose to wing it. He chose not to negotiate in good faith. He chose to just give away the farm, and that's a shame.
3: And again, this comes down to him not having the proper people around him that handle these type of political things, These these political… You know, these are people that you usually have in place in your cabinet, in your administration, that have been there for years to say to you, hey, you can't go about it this way. You got to get something back for this. You can't do this. You got to get this back. Here's what I'm going to keep my eye on. My eye, I'm going to keep on all these things with North Korea and all these things with China. I'm going to keep my eye out after Trump is done. And then he goes back and he's able to take over his his real estate empire, and he's not in office, I'm going to want to see where his Trump stuff starts popping up after he is done with this presidency. Because I think we're to, that's when we're really going to receive a slap in the face as Americans and how much of a mockery that was that this has been made. And I, I hate to say this. I think this is what you're going to see. You're going to see a Trump whatever in North Korea. You're going to see a Trump wherever in Russia or Trump something in, in China after he's all said and done and he's out of office and then pe- what, what will people say then what will people say then they, they'll be ripping them apart just like they're ripping the obamas apart for signing a netflix contract for you know original programming go ahead Oscar, where they see you laughing there in, in the sky well
5: it just it just it, it 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 was funny because uh one of the things that came on, i guess the day after the summit or the morning after the, the meeting whatever uh you know, the president was talking in response to a question about how beautiful the beaches in North Korea are, oh, and yep. you know, you've got the, they're in a perfect situation. They're between China and South Korea, and what a great place to build and you could develop resorts. You know, the same crap that he's always talking about. He's mm-hmm. always thinking about his business and not national security or, or international economics. And uh, you know, I, I think it was. Nicole Wallace uh, the other day on her MSNBC show, which is a great show if you really want to get a one hour good dose of news, she yep. uh, she was laughing hysterically, and I don't know how many Florida listeners we have, but she was laughing hysterically with one of her guests talking about this about how he's trying to create the Boca Raton of the region, and so <laughs> yeah. so I think whether you live in Florida or not, everybody has a vision of Boca Raton. It's a you know a ritzy beach. Community here in South Palm Beach County. Uh, I do not live in Boca Raton. I refuse to live in Boca Raton. Uh, I got the joke and I was laughing along with it. But it was a great visual about how warped his view of the world is. That that's what he was looking at is building, you know, the Trump National Golf Course of Pyongyang and uh, and some beachfront resorts when you've got millions of people that can't even eat one meal a day.
3: Ken and, and, and Ken, isn't some of these comments that he makes aren't they kind of borderline? Conflict of Interest? Him Borderline? Being myself,
1: Borderline? Borderline oh, was we months go. Full, ago.
3: Full diesel. Is uh, okay. <laughs> that boring? No. It, go ahead. For those
1: of you, okay, I'm going to try to keep calm. No, full diesel. <laughs> yeah. Here it goes. Hey, for those of you who, who actually know how to read, the four listeners who actually passed the eighth grade, and can read, may I strongly suggest you pull up your copy of the Constitution. Okay? And go to something called the Emollients Clause. And that says, basically, that if you're a sitting president, you cannot get gifts or other things of value from foreign governments. Okay? So every time Trump opens his big, fat mouth about putting a resort anyplace... That's a violation of the clause. Okay? Because it benefits him in a foreign country. Are we
0: paying attention
1: yet, people?
3: <laughs> okay. Ken, Ken is, that's what we want to hear. That's what we want to hear, Ken, from you.
1: No, seriously. Can you imagine if Obama or George Bush, one or two, has suggested opening up, go, oh, I don't know. hmm a baseball stadium in, oh, I don't know, Russia or an NFL franchise, what what people would have done to them. Mm-hmm. Think about that.
0: Uh,
1: Bush, too, was an executive with the Texas Rangers. Imagine imagine if he walked he went, walked into the um, G7 Summit and said, I'd really like to sign that uh, communique, but I think first we need to talk about the new baseball stadium that I'm going to build in Paris. Okay.
3: Yep.
1: What do you think would have happened? R squared. Well, you know, I mean,
5: obviously, you've got a whole different set of circumstances because you've got leaders uh, agree or disagree on policy who had the apparatus around them. And number one, even if we disagreed with them, I think nobody could claim that they had they were working actively against the interests of the United States. And I think that's a huge difference between what. Previous administrations were, whether I agreed or disagreed with their policies. uh, I never thought for a moment that those leaders were actively working against the interests of the United States. And unfortunately, after 18 months, I'm convinced that this president is, and that's a dangerous difference.
1: Thank you. But we all know that um, Barack Obama was a Kenyan Muslim secret agent (laughs) for ISIS. (laughs)
3: Oh man, that no. great, great, good, good, full diesel. Hey, I'm hearing, I'm hearing, I'm on Facebook Live, and I'm hearing we're having a Facebook Live issue. I don't know how true that is. Um, I know we're still going out of a hoobazoo. We're still going out over the air, so it looks like there may be a Facebook Live issue. It's nothing to do with us. I'm hoping that the topic that we was talking about. Wasn't something that someone reported, and they shut down the live. There stream. you go. See, no, state, no, it's the tease.
1: It's the tease for our next subject. That would be
3: that, would be uh, that would be that would be a tough one. Um, but no, we're we're actually at five nineteen. We got ten minutes to go in this show, um, and there's still some a quick, a lot of quick stuff that I got to get in here. Um, I was able to attend Jake Paul concert uh, with Ryan this past Sunday at House of Blues. I can't believe that somebody that... I gotta admit, the kid has built an empire from just making silly Vine videos when he was in high school. He's a multi-million dollar millionaire, him and his brother for doing absolutely nothing. If that's the American dream, I guess so be it. Um, USA, Mexico, and Canada have been announced to get the World Cup in 2026. I believe the last time we had it here was two thousand and. Nine or 4 I forget I know my uncle actually has set to up be computers. 4 yeah. Because,
1: yeah, it's, a, it's always an even number
3: yeah I want to say 4 because my uncle actually did the computers at the stadium for the US World Cup um, real quick we, before I get into this Comcast talk uh, Democrats are quietly quietly taking some major seats um, after we got off the air last Tuesday night there was a, an election in Missouri on Wednesday and that seat has that's been a republican state for the longest time ken i know you were real happy to hear this one i'm gonna let you blast this one out and then we'll talk about the other two seats that were
1: okay it was a special election i think the last time a democrat held that seat uh jefferson was president it was one of the seats that was not expected to flip and it did and there's a lot of people are saying this is the indication of the blue tsunami that's coming. I know R-squared and I have debated this. He does not think it's going to happen. He thinks between gerrymandering and the device of politics is simply not going to happen. But I think what you're seeing, though, that that sound you're hearing is the rumblings in the jungle right before the stampede.
3: And the second seat that was just taken to was California, right? California, just an Afro-American woman, and I believe she's a Democrat. She was just brought in, and I I, I believe I got I to gotta go back and ask Squid because a while back when this topic came up, Squid, like you said, he disagreed. He, he kind of disagreed, but now after seeing Missouri, which is that it's a big one. We you know we can't deny this. What are your thoughts now, Squid, on this?
5: Yeah, you know, Missouri is certainly good news, as are some of the other places. Uh, I think what we have to keep in mind are a couple of things. First of all, the Democrats will make gains in the midterms. I just don't think it's going to be a tsunami's worth of gains, but I do believe that they'll pick up seats. I wish to God they could pick up the Senate. I think desperately we need to pick up the Senate. I don't see a path where that's going to happen unless something changes dramatically in the next few months, although I would do anything I could to make that happen. Uh but going back to this, I think what we have to not lose sight of is the fact that while these are Democrats who are winning, uh, we have to look at the local politics involved in some of these races. Who are these two people? What were the issues they're discussing? Were the, These were issues that the local Democrats who are running, and not just Missouri but in places in, in, in multiple states, they're not talking about any of this Russia stuff. They're not talking about foreign policy stuff. They're talking about purely local issues. They're trying to peel away some of the, you know, economic fear that led to Trump's victory in 2016. And so, you know, we'd have to be really interested you'd have to really look at, you know, do a deep dive into some of these issues and see, because I don't think, number one, I know for a fact they're not talking about the issues that the National Party or the DNC or the D triple C are talking about. They're certainly not talking about Nancy Pelosi stuff. And so you know, those, those issues are still working for the Republicans on a national basis and on their safe seat basis. Uh, so yes, this is positive news. I'd be stupid to deny that, and I don't want to deny that. Uh, but I don't see the evidence when you look at what, these, what the candidates are talking about uh, and what they represent. I don't see it as evidence of a tsunami yet.
3: Well, my feeling is on this is I think the Democrats might have a little bit of a strategy. I think they're waiting to see what they take. Um, and they know that they have two years, but it's going to be a very fast two years to get their ducks in a row, in my opinion. I feel that once they get, because they still haven't really said who they, who their front runner or who, who's even stepped up to even think about going against Trump in two years. Um, the question here yeah. is going to is going to be, is who's going to take that front runner position? Who is stepping up, and who's going to be that credible person? Um, who's going to run there's a lot of stuff out there but right now it's all rumors and um, it's not even really worth mentioning but again if these seats are turning like they are and you make a great point they're turning because people are mad at that local level so my feeling is is okay once you get that seat as a democrat you now have to start making sure you've got two years to bring whatever was happening locally that made people flip that seat, you've got to start working in, like you said, you've got to start working in conversations about what's happening nationally so you don't lose that seat again in two more years to Republicans. Right. Correct? That's it, which is exactly what you're saying, because all of this is for naught if you end up losing it again in two more years when, when these seats become, you know, because I, because I believe most of those seats are, are two-year seats, right?
5: Yeah, and I could tell you know I, I spent a couple of years in Missouri, and I lived in the Ozarks, which is the southern part of the state, as opposed to the, the northern. You could almost like California, you could just divide Missouri into a couple of different places, a couple of different you know different places. But uh, you know, Missouri is not voting Democratic. Okay, uh, they've got pretty much. I think. Yeah, because Kander lost when he ran for Senate. So, for the most part, the Republicans control all the statewide offices except for Claire McCaskill, and she's still in very big danger of losing her Senate seat. And, you know, people obviously. Can rank order the various senators how they wish. People like different people. I've always thought very highly of Claire McCaskill as a senator. I've actually met with her and spoken with her on military issues. I think she's wonderful, uh, and she's about to lose. And I think she's one of the best senators we have. So, uh, you know, that's why you can't overstate what's going on in, in Missouri. I, I hope I hope that, that November proves to be different, but that's just
3: what I see. Ken, you want to add to that before we touch yeah, on the last I,
1: topic? I, I, respectfully, I just I disagree. I do not think. I agree with certain what Raskar said, and he's basically copying what Tip O'Neill said. All politics is local, and I agree, and that's what's happening right now. A lot of these politicians who are up and coming are talking about local politics, but I don't think that the Senate is that out of reach. We've got toss-ups in Nevada, Arizona, Florida, just to say the least. Missouri is always going to be a difficult state for Democrats. But Claire McCaskill has been winning elections where she shouldn't have won for years. And bleeder and app, we also need to look at the map because there are also states that may be in play that no one thought, like Tennessee. Okay, Tennessee, they're saying in play that could be in play. So and also Nebraska. And here's the thing: people got to remember the old joke about a week being eternity in politics. Things have not gotten better for Trump and his supporters. Okay, and they're getting worse day. By day, I mean uh, he he had what they call negative coattails, which means he came in and he had didn't bring anybody with him. And here's the other thing, historically speaking, midterm elections are usually not good for the party in power in the White House. As a matter of fact, the last couple election cycles have been absolutely disastrous, going back to Clinton in '94, Bush in 2002, Obama. They've been got, to quote, Mr. quote the former president, a uh, shellacking. And that's when things were, well, I dare say sane, but less crazy than they are now. I can only imagine what people are going to think about come November. And here's the other thing. I, I'm actually working on a blog piece for our site. I'll give you, give you a uh, little bit of a little foreshadowing. We are not going – no one is going to convince Trump supporters to change their mind. They're immune to logic, no matter what you say. But here's the thing. A record number of people did not vote in the last election. 47% of the registered – and I'm just talking registered voters, not you know uh, potential voters – didn't vote. You, I believe, are going to see an incredibly drastic change in this one because if you look at the people who are winning both on the local – county and state level, you have people here who have not been groomed by the party. They are outsiders, and they are coming in in droves. I've been active in politics for 50 years. I can honestly say I don't think anyone can ever say – you can look at a point and say the amount of people who are entering politics for the first time and winning across the country at all levels has has never seen that, and I think that's the revolution that no one is paying attention to.
5: No, you're right. That, that's a great point. That turnout has been amazing in a lot of these places. And you have people that maybe haven't been voting lately that are motivated to come out right now, either by the president or other reasons. So I think you're right. That's a very strong argument in favor of what you're predicting is going to happen. And I hope that we get that turnout. I think we will have a slightly higher turnout than normal for the midterms, which normally don't get a high turnout. I think the turnout will be higher than normal, and I think it will be more blue in nature than normal. And certainly you're right about it going against the the party in power, and with the Republicans' complete control of the government, there's there's nobody else to be mad at. But uh, it's just really what we're disagreeing or what we're debating is what's the extent of it going to be. Uh, I've said all along, I think that the Democrats can retake the House. I think it's going to be harder than they think, and it's certainly going to be harder with Ms. Pelosi.
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lowe.
5: charge because that is a, that is a valid issue for a lot of voters i know we can scoff at it being you know a little bit more informed and realistic about how congress works but for a lot of people across the country that's a real issue uh the republicans have done a great hatchet job on her like they did hillary clinton for many years and it, it's an effective ad campaign it just is whether we like it or not and the other piece is that uh, you know for the senate Uh, Clearly, the Democrats have some seats that they have to hold. Bill Nelson is behind here in Florida. That's a travesty. Rick Scott is a corrupt piece of garbage. Uh, But Bill Nelson is behind. He's well-liked. Rick Scott is running a very clever campaign where he is speaking nicely about Nelson and just saying it's time for him to go, where the super PACs that are spending millions of dollars are slamming Bill Nelson. So Scott's having it both ways, and it's cleverly working, and he's ahead. Uh, and Claire McCaskill is behind, and she's not going to have a Todd Akin this time. Let's—I hope she does, because that's how she won last time. So, Democrats may have to win more than just the couple of seats they need. They're going to have to maybe anticipate one or two possible losses, and they're going to have to win five or six pickups while holding most of their seats. So that's why I'm saying that that's going to be a harder, a harder task this year. It's not undoable, but if you're talking about you know putting money down in Las Vegas on this type of thing, uh, I would be a little bit hesitant to do it, at least in the in the current climate, but a lot can happen. We still got months
3: to go.
1: Oh, I agree. There's, you know, the only thing that's certain about American politics is uncertainty. Yeah.
3: <laughs> we're at. But, we're at fo- go ahead, Ken.
1: I'm I'm sorry if I, I I see we're we're getting over. I'll yeah I'll end with that.
3: Okay, you sure? Because it sounds like you're about to make a good point. Okay. All right, uh, we're at five thirty. We have one last topic. that I just want to blast out here because this this is big. And this, this I know a lot of people they listen to the show. They you know they kind of get bored about the politics. They kind of get, but I, I know it's a story like this. I'm a big guy. I've always been a fan of of financial news stories because a lot of people don't realize that 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 the financial structure of our of our society is changing. And people they really need to start paying more. To, and I've said this. I've been saying this for years. People really need to start paying attention to what's going on with the financial structure of this com- of our country. Point being, you have a lot of things that are going on in society that people aren't, re- are gonna, aren't going to realize until it's right in their face. The automation of jobs is here. It's coming. And people, I'm just telling you right now, and I keep, I've been saying this for the last five years, and people have said, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Look, I'm in public transportation, and I'm just letting you know. It's coming automation is coming with bus drivers. It's coming with everything. So that's the first thing being said. Right now, financially, you have a lot of companies who are beginning to take over. There's a lot of companies out there that just can't handle business no more, and they're being gobbled up. And this has been going on, guys, right, financially for the last five years. Smaller companies, startup companies, they come in. In And our country used to be built on startup companies coming in, making a name for themselves and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and becoming an entity in our financial community. What's happening and has been happening in the last five years is that, and, and it's because of the social media and, and the internet explosion is because now when you have a startup company and a startup company is very successful out the gate, these bigger companies come in now and they just gobble them up quickly. Why? Why? Because they don't want that threat to get big enough to take over that that aspect of business. Facebook is a great example. Facebook is huge. Facebook bought Instagram. Facebook bought all these different startup sites that were a threat to their social media existence. And, and they've taken this in. So let's look at the TV realm. And our TV realm is made up of, of so many networks, ABC, Fox, NBC, CBS. But what a lot of people don't realize behind the scenes... And cable companies and all these who own these things, it's coming down to just four or five companies owning all of these networks. Um, when you look at Disney, which is about to buy, which was about to acquire Fox, Disney owns ABC, ESPN, and, and, and I believe AMC and several other channels, USA Network, and things of that sort. Um, Comcast has now jumped in, and they have made this this plan that they wanted to acquire Fox. And put in a large bid for Fox to steal it away from Disney Now, Comcast, which everybody, when you mention Comcast are people All they think of is Comcast as that aggressive, pain-in-the-ass cable bill That they have to pay for every month Nobody really knows really what Comcast does Not many people know it They just know it's the cable provider for their TV at home Cable Comcast, they own Paramount Network They own NBC They own a lot of stuff, people and they're about to purchase Fox movie division at sixty-five billion. And here's why this is big: the the, the feds were looking to step in and, and claim this as being a monopoly. And we talked about this a little bit last week, and you know, people were worried about it, but they said, you know, the feds were going to look into this. And guess what? At the twelfth hour, it happens that the feds come back and they turn around and they just ruled that the Time Warner accusation By AT&T Is legit, it can be done Um, This whole argument of creating A monopoly has been thrown Out the window and it's very scary people And I know Ken, you're a big finance guy To me, seeing this Monopoly thing thrown out the window I think the last time that I saw a company go down For creating a monopoly Was EA Sports, when EA Sports signed their Agreement with the NFL EA Sports signed a an agreement with with the NFL, and they still have this agreement with the NFL where nobody else can make an NFL video game. Um, EA Sports lost, and it was claimed that they were creating a monopoly. They lost, and they had to pay all this money. So my feeling in this matter is is people really need to realize what is going on in society today because it's a big deal. Comcast is coming in $65 billion to take Fox to add to what they've already – and R-Squared was unaware, and then when I explained it to R-Squared, R-Squared, you were kind of blown away, correct? Like, you were unaware that this was going on.
5: Well, I didn't hear the latest thing from today. I, I was aware, you know, of what they've been doing for years, but not the latest thing that you uh, that you mentioned earlier today to get ready for the show. I didn't realize they upped their bid for Fox.
3: Yeah, yeah. Once that thing came down that, that you know, that, that, that AT&T can acquire Time Warner, um ken i'm gonna let you explain the legal side of it it set what we talked about last week it set a precedent and fox and 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 comcast immediately went right to it it was like within two hours comcast was already all over the verdict it was like oh here we go we can do this and 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 here's why because comcast in their bid they had told fox that okay here's the deal if the feds come in and, and you agree this deal, and if the feds come in and claim it's a monopoly, we're going to pay all the fines and blah, 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 and I'm going to let like Ken explain this. Um, now that it's been – a precedent has been set, they don't have to worry about these fines. They don't have to worry about anything. How, how big is this, Ken? Because people don't – Well, it's it's one
1: of those things where it's huge and it's minuscule Both sound ridiculous. What the what the trial court ruled, and this is a very important thing, that the merger did not affect customer choice because of the fact what the court ruled for the first time, the majority of Americans are getting their news and entertainment from non-traditional sources, i.e., Facebook, things like that. That is a very controversial decision because what the court did for the first time would look not look at okay. There's X amount of cable companies out there. How much do they, are they each individual cable company own, just as the people getting cable TV? What the court looked at is information in general across the entire spectrum.
3: Is that fair? Was it? Is it a fair? Was it a fair it's assessment?
1: one of those things where it's probably logical. It's one of those things where congratulations, good idea, bad execution. Mm-hmm. There is no question that. The landscape of how we get information is changing. What the court failed to consider was, hey, yes, the landscape may be changing, but access to that, but the people who control the access to that landscape are the guys you're talking about. So yes, there may be people getting information from Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but to get to that, you have to go through the cable companies, and that's where they screwed up. And I think that's where the appellate court. And here's the thing: where you know, I, I look, it was a bad decision and horrific. However, it's going to be appealed. So, oh, you, it's think, not, oh, you, oh, you oh, think so? Oh, yeah, it's going to be okay. appealed.
3: And how so do you think that's not, going to? How do you think the appeal is going to fare, and whether they're going to use to defend it? Well, you know, to, to um, try
1: to. I think well, it really depends. I don't know. I mean, it's a very technical issue. I think what could happen is they could work out some kind of deal where it's not as bad as people think. Do... This is chapter one of War and Peace. That's what I'm trying to say. Stay. Right.
3: Well, Stay well like, like I said, let's see what's going to happen. Because, because there's it's... another issue. Go ahead.
1: The other issue is, and the big story that no one is covering, is net neutrality. Because remember, the Senate voted to overturn the SEC's decision.
3: Yes, yep.
1: And if that goes to the House, which – or so there's a 50 50 shot that could have effect on the court's ruling, because the court based some of its ruling on the fact that the idea that they were that, that we were getting out of the regulatory business as to access, and now it's coming back in. So what they may have to do if the House overturns it, send it back to the judge to go, wait, we've got a change in law here. You need to reconsider this.
3: So, we, so again, we still have to keep an eye on this and see how it yes. fares This well, was, go ahead.
1: you know, this was this was. Well, to give you a football equivalent, at the end of the first quarter, your team's down fourteen zero. Not good position to be in, but you got three quarters, three three more quarters of football to play. Can you need to get your head out of your butt and play the game?
3: Mm, that's good stuff. So yeah, like I said, people I know a lot of people don't follow this stuff, but you got to. These are the things you got to pay attention to. Like you know, a lot of people don't realize that Amazon is is quietly taking over shipping and everything. You know. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of things coming down the pipe that people don't realize. Your malls, as you know it, are drying up. Why? Because everybody's going with a one central place to stock all their items, and well, they're, go- hold on they're, a second. Shipping, they're shipping out everywhere, and it's getting crazy. No, because-
1: no, 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 no. And I'm going to I'm gonna throw some cold water on you sinister mm-hmm. One. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We in the Northeast tend to look around the Northeast and say that just because it's not happening in the Northeast, that means it's not happening anyplace else, or it's happening in the Northeast, it's happening every place else. In the northeast and on the west coast and in certain urban areas in the south, i.e. Miami, Dade County, Dallas, Fort Worth, those areas, we overbuilt malls. We put well, – there was too much capacity and not enough interest, and they are getting turned around by central, where shipping is effective. Out in the middle of east, east you know, but bingo – I can't see what I really want to say – when you don't have, where where shipping is not efficient, you still have malls.
2: Yes, correct. So,
1: and that's an important thing to understand. Yeah, the is. reason why Amazon is very successful is because it can get a lot of products to a small geographic area. For example, there are more people that live within the I-128 corridor here in Massachusetts, okay, than live in the entire state of Montana. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: there are great swaths of this country where there are literally nobody nobody's living. The Northeast is very crowded. That makes malls, uh, the competition for mall traffic, incredibly difficult. Whereas out in Mall of America, if you've ever been, that's probably the size of Brock.
3: Yes, exactly.
1: The reason it exists is because there's nothing else out there, and you can't get Amazon to fly out there.
3: But But again, you have certain stores... Where you don't need to have stores like Radio right. Shack. That's why Radio Shack dried up everywhere. You don't need to have, you don't need to build a brick building and pay rent for batteries and small little items. Where you can have one central place or three central places throughout America, and then just ship, just ship everything out, and you would no, save you, a t- your profit. Yeah, would be But lazy. my point
1: is, there are companies who will not ship in the Midwest places. They just won't. Not inefficient. Or the, co- the shipping costs are, are incredibly high.
3: And that, But that's where the drones come in because they, no, they've, regist- no, they've registered no, they've, a ton of no, drones. No, they've
1: done the numbers. They, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. They've done the numbers. I've listened mm-hmm. to people. They will never make shipping efficient in certain parts of this country, and they won't do it. That's why malls will exist out there mm-hmm. because it just won't be efficient. I don't remember the figure. About, as a, as there's a lecture online. They said there's they figured out there's got to be a certain amount of uh, people per square mile before shipping becomes efficient. Mm-hmm. There's a break-even point, and Amazon knows it.
3: Well they're making they're making money hand over fist right now. Right. And, and because they yeah.
1: service highly high density area, which is why they're coming they to Boston.
3: Serve. This is this right. is why them coming to Boston was a big deal. They knew they needed Boston. They For knew a, Amazon knew they needed Boston. Even though they built a hundred bay garage down in Fall River, they knew they needed Boston. Because right. Boston puts them smack dab between Rhode Island, New Hampshire, right. Maine, all of those other places.
1: If you're, that's example example. Look at Boston. Mm-hmm. Look at how many – if you're a shipping concern, look how many people you can reach for a viewer centered in Boston. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now take the same same people and stick it in Orlando. How many people can you reach in Orlando? Quite a few. Really? Right? No. If you leave Orlando – Mm-hmm. Or you let me tell you, take take these cities out of Florida, Jacksonville, Tampa, Orlando, Miami. Okay. What do you got? Take those cities out. R- R-squared, much. what do you got?
5: Well, there's, there's certainly not a lot left. I mean, you've got Thank the big you. cities, and then there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, swampland in the middle.
1: Right. That's my point is, but in Massachusetts, outside, you take Boston out of the equation, you still got Providence, Hartford, you know, all these other major cities.
3: Yeah. Yep.
1: You don't oh, have watching. that in, in that's what I'm saying.
3: Mm. Well we'll have to see what happens because it's it's growing fast. It's getting very interesting. And uh it was good stuff. Hey guys, we're at five forty five, we're a little bit over. Uh Travis Projecton, Oscar Mike Radio, episode ninety six and ninety seven will take off tonight at seven thirty, followed by drafting the circuits. Uh, there's some news on the forefront for these guys. They're going to be talking tonight. And um, other than that, we're, we're going to try to get in solo next week. Um, hopefully nothing happens on the uh, on the political front. Um, like I said, we, we definitely had to break down this North Korean summit. This was a big deal. Um, and it, it was much better to talk about that. So uh, let's see. I'm going to start off with our, our square to say his goodbyes tonight
5: hey what a, another great show so much to talk about i think we got it covered for the most part it was a lot of fun and thanks everybody for listening remember when you know there's a time for uh for a good discussion and there's a time to just shake it out and play cards so uh go have a good week everybody we'll see you tuesday
3: Ken.
1: well well to thank all of our listeners all 12 of them I'd Like to thank all the people participating in the chat thank you very much And I want a big shout-out to my nephew, Eli, who is getting his bar mitzvah this weekend. Looking forward to seeing him. And, uh, hey, guys, for the 112,000th time, if you're driving your freaking car, put down your freaking smartphone,
3: please, Yes.
1: before I have to kill you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, before we get out of here, I just got to tell everybody, happy hypocritical day. The reason why I'm calling it happy hypocritical day is because today is flag day. And for all you people out there with flags on your cars and flags on your shirts and flags on your napkins and flags on whatever, and you're going around here today on Flag Day, guess what? Most of you people are the same people who are bitching and complaining about the fact that guys were taking the knee during the anthem and how they were disrespecting the flag. Well, guess what? Welcome to the biggest, most hypocritical holiday ever, Flag Day. Today, (laughs) for all you people out there who are driving around, waving your flag, yeah, guess what? You've just made yourself a hypocrite. (laughs) You just won the first annual Booth Hypothetical (laughs) War. And to be honest, guys, doesn't that show you exactly the state of our country right now? Well, and just
5: to add on, if it's Flag Day, of course, it's also the Army's birthday. Happy 243rd birthday to the U.S. Army.
3: Yeah, thank you, Dennis, for your service. Go Mother Green
1: and her killing machine.
3: Oh my god, yeah, it's friggin' hilarious. I just thought that was funny that today was flag day and people were walking around with all this stuff and I'm like, you do realize that you're, <laughs> you're the biggest hypocrite of all right now. So. I, I, I gotta no, think
1: I'm afraid of... <laughs> that's lost on them. That's the shame.
3: <laughs> I gotta get ready to get out of here. I gotta thank everybody for tuning in the show. Uh, got some big stuff coming up again next week. Jay Kenzer of it, The Expendables will be here on the show next week to talk about his new release, Opinionated Facts. Van Bates, Thanks for joining us in the chat. He's going to be on this show uh, within the next couple of weeks. He's got some music that's coming out, and he's getting ready to go on tour. So we got some good stuff coming from him. But other than that, all I got to say is do me a favor, SpongeBob, and take us home.
4: Well, see you next Tuesday. Thanks for tuning into The Booth at Hoobazoo.com. Please make sure to tune in for more Booth next Tuesday night at 7 p.m. New York Eastern Standard Time. Become a fan on their Facebook page and check out their podcast on iTunes and iHeartRadio. The Booth is a Sinisto 1 production hosted by Sinisto 1, Ken Diesel, and R-Squared.
2: I've got to start hanging out with friends that are a little more intelligent and understand politics instead. It's just that I'm up on this level up here, and all my friends are down here. Me, yeah. You guys, yeah. Maybe a little more down, down here. Screw you guys. I'm going home.
0: Who? Who?